0: Today, I'd like to take you behind the scenes of the program, Truth to Ponder. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. It's hard to believe that six weeks ago today was the airing of the first episode of Truth to Ponder. Six weeks, 30 some odd programs already done. During this time, we've had a number of guests. We've done some solo programs like I'm like I'm doing today. But I want to get you to understand what made this show come about and what I'm thinking about as I'm looking toward the future. And I'd love to have your input and ideas. I started doing a program of this nature, man, it's gotta be five and a half years ago. And it was just a weekend program. And I used to complain sometimes, I hate to say it, that just doing that one hour program, the production time, the the distribution, the editing, all the little details that go with it, well, it can be very overwhelming. And I'm trying to be somewhat self, you know, semi-retired so I could have time to do other things that are important in this life, in this world. The events of this year is what triggered The idea of a program like Truth to Ponder. I'm one of those that recognizes that that podcasting is a growing medium among many people. I am surprised at the at the wide ranges of age that you find people that listen to podcasts. It's not limited, podcasting is not limited to a younger generation, as some people sometimes assume. I'm finding people that are my age, some a little bit older. I'm finding some that are my age and older that, that are listening to podcasts more than they, they do their regular radio. We have a wonderful amount of technology, and, and I know that some of this technology can be at risk in difficult times. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But for now, our world, whether we want to agree or not, is using the internet pipeline for so much of our our lives, our business, our transactions, our communications. Now, whether that's a good thing in the long run, I'm not going to. I don't think that it is. If it's 100% solo into one, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket. I still believe in legacy technology, but I believe that we should use those platforms that we can use in sharing information and truth. The idea came to me to consider doing a program like Truth to Ponder. Actually, when I was doing some work earlier this year, came out of retirement to help a county with their emergency management response to the to this COVID-19 pandemic. During that time, I I realized very quickly, there was a whole lot of information out there that was either incomplete or intentionally, well, let's put it this way, put in words and expressions to, to instill lots of panic. A lot of the information that was getting out there that I could see, and remember, I'm seeing more information than most people do and even a lot of reporters will ever find and the narrative the people and the public are getting is not always accurate let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic like i say these are the things that got me thinking about doing such a program we were told because of a faulty model that millions of people were going to die in the United States. Well, that never happened. At the time of this recording, we're about 210,000, something like that, in a country of 331 million people. And out of the deaths, even the CDC admits that 94% of them had comorbidities, meaning not just being overweight. That's a risk factor. There's a difference between... A comorbidity and a risk factor. A comorbidity all by itself can kill you. We're talking severe heart disease. We're talking cancer. We're talking something more than just being a little overweight or perhaps being a little bit older. Wasn't that long ago I shared with you some numbers on what the fatality rate is based upon age groupings and you know we we have all these people so afraid of our children dying if they go back to school when the reality is that the survival rate for those under 20 is basically 99.9997 percent, and it may actually even be bit better than that that's our guesstimate Which means the survival rate for those under 20, and I saw a lot of the media get really bent out of shape not long ago. The survival rate for those under 20 is much higher than it is for the same group if they have the flu. Let me make that clear. For those under 20, the flu every year is vastly more deadly than COVID-19. And the same pretty well holds true to people literally up to 49 years of age. It's about the same. It, it increases slightly for those in my age bracket, basically in their mid-60s to early 70s, but not by much. And it goes up to about 95% survival rate now for those over 74. Amazing. People that have been 102 years of age have survived this because they didn't have any comorbidities. And we're not talking risk. So a lot of the information that gets out there is hyped up in such a way to keep us in fear. The world is going to die. The world is going to be infected. The world, the world and the United States. And I I have to wonder how much, how much of this pandemic has been misused for political and nefarious purposes. One of the things that I, and we'll get into the pandemic stuff in a few minutes, just a couple of things that I kind of ran across that just caught my attention. These are just easy, you can look them up yourself, you can find it, the little bit of information I'm going to pass along. I will tell you up front that COVID-19, like any virus, has its potential to be dangerous to some people and getting sick whether it's the common cold whether it's the flu who wants to be sick anyway i get it i realized when i did my work i got called in february went to work in march and april and i decided in may first week of may that the numbers we were being told were not legit And I just felt bad that we prepped for everything to be huge numbers that were just not happening. So I I decided to tell them, I need to just kind of walk away from this. You You don't have to pay me anymore because there's nothing I can do to help you in what you're trying to do. I did the work that I could. And we were ready for these big numbers that never came. But all summer long, the media just hypes COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Um, social distance, six feet apart, plastic shields on our faces—things we've never done before—and the death rate keeps climbing until we find out that really only ninety-four, only six percent actually died of the virus. That knocks that number down quite a bit. I've had family members and friends that have had this virus. They've all survived. Did they enjoy having it? Of course not. I realized I realized in, in May, I can't reach everybody in the United States and other people that do some of the same things that I'm doing, can only reach so many people. But I can do my little part, whether it's a dozen, whether it's a hundred, whether it's a thousand, whether it's 50,000 people. I don't know. I don't care. My initial concept for the program was not to do a radio show like I'm doing now. I was going to keep the weekend radio show the way it was, your weekend show, and I was going to, during the week, depending upon the news of the day, record these little you know four minute, five minute, ten minute segments and even have a you know have a video camera, and produce a couple of video podcasts which could be either audio only or video. take your choice, whichever you prefer to view or listen to. And every time a new one would come out, you get a little notification on your computer, your tablet, your phone, whatever device you're using, and you could listen and even respond right from the that page. I even thought about doing some of them live on occasion. But as the days went by, and I would I couldn't get motivated to start the program. I, I kept saying, "Yeah, I got to get started." I even purchased a green screen to put behind me in my little office here in Georgia. So instead of seeing this blank wall, I could put something up there, whether it's a graphic or there's something behind me, like they do on pretty much most of the TV news programs these days, just to make it a better eye appeal. And then I could also edit in some video. Now, I will tell you, from doing this for a number of years video editing is not as easy as most people think it takes a little bit longer and a little bit more patience and so to put together a five or ten minute program could take you a you know a couple of hours really if you want to do it right and you know do a first class job you could probably do it in less if you are just trying to get it out there quickly but that little voice inside kept saying maybe it needs to be a radio program. Maybe you need to find some people to have on as a guest and, and, and share information. And so I I kind of started playing with building a website, got a domain name, truth the number two ponder.com. Got that. And I just couldn't couldn't wrap my mind around what I'm supposed to be doing. Part of me wanted to be on international shortwave. And honestly, doing international shortwave is not cheap. And I had a friend that I was talking to and I was sharing my idea about the program. And he said, How much would it cost for a couple of months of being on the air? I told him. He wrote me a check. I mean, out of nowhere, just said, Here, go buy the airtime. And let's see what happens after, you know, eight, nine weeks. So I made the decision. I was going to start a little bit earlier, but I made the decision because of some travel and other things going on in our life that August 31st, Monday, the 31st, that's six weeks ago, would be the perfect day to launch this program and take us through September, October and into November and see what happens and see if people email or send a letter or something just to acknowledge that they're listening. And I want to thank there have been those that have done that, and and it means the world. One individual wrote me not long ago, and this person, I believe, is in Indiana and has family in upstate New York, that he knows several people that are listening to the program on International Shortwave. I have no way to know if anybody's listening on Shortwave. It's just I just can't. There's no rating service. There's no feedback, in other words. For me to know that you've heard the program on shortwave, if you have the Internet, you need to send me an email. And otherwise, I hate to have you spend 50 cents on a stamp, unless you've been hoarding some forever stamps. Just a simple card or letter to let me know you're out there would mean a lot. Like anybody that wants to do ministry correctly, I want to be a good steward, a good steward of the Lord's you know resources that he gives to me through his people. And I have to figure that as a guy that is retired, for the most part, I can't afford out of my own pocket to, to, to keep up a five-day-a-week program. I can keep up a podcast. I can keep up a lot of things, but the airtime expense is devastating. It's brutal. And so I have to put that into consideration, you know, starting next month. Just so you know, it will come down to deciding whether this is a worthwhile medium. I think that it is. Honestly, what I think really needs to happen, it's not so much that I'm on this frequency at a certain time five days a week and the other one maybe a couple of days a week i've been really thinking in terms of shortwave to do it right there's a lot of things you can find on shortwave things you probably agree with some things you absolutely do not and it is what it is in the world today the operation of this equipment is not something for the faint of heart because it takes a tremendous amount of technical skills to maintain the equipment, even physical skills because of the size of the components, and the power bills that come with it, and the tube expense. Yeah, these things are generally not solid state, and people say, well, can't you buy a, a solid state or transistor unit? The return on investment could take decades. So, no, there's probably not going to happen unless you're a government. So we try to make these things work the best we can for as long as we can. But I really believe if we're going to do it right, we need to find we need to find our own frequency, our own antenna. Even if it's in conjunction with somebody else. To put together a, a station that could reach a good part of North America and into South America. Can't cover everything. You've got to be realistic. And use that frequency. Turn it on at a certain time of the day. Turn it off in the wee hours of the morning. And have nothing but back-to-back quality programming it's all in agreement right down to any music that is played between programs in other words have a station of integrity a station of information a station a station that can inform and teach and aid and help in these very strange times something maybe you can't find on satellite television or radio Something you're not going to find from your local terrestrial radio station. And something that would be very hard to find on the Internet because of so many stations being out there. Yeah, I'm going to still launch more of that. But I also understand that I'm jumping into, I mean, I'm just a small little tiny rowboat in a big ocean when I'm trying to be out there doing certain things on the Internet. That's just the nature of the beast. And I, I don't have the backing of a big government or corporation behind me to do the things that could be done even on the internet. But I can do my little part. And so today, as I'm taking you behind the scenes, so to speak, I'm going to tell you in just a moment how, how my typical day goes in producing these radio shows. Some, the schedule is kind of weird because of where some of the shows go and And on what days This week, for example I will be away from my home In Georgia Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday I'm going to be At a conference up in Virginia Getting back mm, Early Friday evening You know, after 6 When my flight Arrives back home Where I'm I'm Flying out of Greenville, South Carolina Because it's the closest and easiest To access airport for me And a lot of things will be determined there as well, going forward in the things that I'm doing in my life. For me, this period of time, the remainder of the year, 2020, is to make some hard decisions on the things that I can and cannot do. The things that I'm equipped to help with. And I'm one of those kind of people, my wife says, sometimes you take on way too much for just one person she's probably right i have a heart that i want to help people out with their their projects i mean there's a radio station in south carolina that i've been just desperately trying to help and i'm not sure how much i can under the circumstances i'm not in a position to buy a station anymore and i i can't move there it doesn't make any sense and if i got there what could i really do Without affecting other things that I know I am supposed to do. So you, you, you gotta weigh these things out. Just like this radio show. Does it go back to what the original concept was? A two, three, four time a week podcast of five to fifteen minutes? I don't know. Does it stay a five day a week, one hour program? Don't know. Does it stay on short wave? well, that'll probably take care of itself when the time comes that I can't afford to buy the time, so I guess that's one thing I'll have to deal with when the time comes. Or, or will there be a way to isolate one frequency and one antenna to cover the, the areas that have to be covered? where a program like this can be on one or two times, maybe three times over a 12-hour period as it reaches around the nation. But not just me, but other voices that need to be on the radio as well. And as we pool our resources, maybe we can make it happen. There could be more than just my voice on, on a frequency. It could be others that can 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 add to what i'm doing and be better at teaching certain things than i ever could that's what i'm debating right now this is part of my my prayer life where do we go from here the responses i get especially in letters and i've had several people that have been kind enough to write letters one person Remember me from back on radio years ago, but listens now as a podcast every day. Others say that they hear me strictly on shortwave. So it's, it's difficult to figure out what's the right thing to do. And so that's why I'm coming to you and talking from behind the scenes of how this show goes. So here's typical week. I've got five radio programs to produce, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, And the Friday program also doubles as your weekend show because it goes to a few other locations that Truth to Ponder does not. Now, it makes for an interesting day because, see, the Friday show has got to be done before Wednesday afternoon because of the time it takes to get it distributed overseas. So I've got to deal with basically Monday's program is sometimes started on Friday and then Tuesday's program is started on Monday and finished with the Monday show. Then I spend Tuesday actually recording the weekend show to get it out by Wednesday. So I'm the guy that all, I do the editing. I do the interviews, the research, the distribution, uh, the bookkeeping, everything. It's a one man show. I mean, I've worked for ministries where there are people you have doing research and you have other people doing distribution and other people doing, you know, what they call development. In in other words, raising the funds to keep it going. I don't have any of those luxuries. It's just me and my wife and my two little dogs up here. But I'm trying to be obedient in sharing important information with you. Each and every day. That's why I do this this program. I just feel the need to do it. Sometimes, some days, I can get the show done in a couple of hours, maybe three. Sometimes it takes half or more of the day. And then other things that I've promised to do get dropped by the wayside. I have debated since the beginning of this program. I, I'm looking and I'm I've been spending a little bit to help others to get involved maybe it should be more than just me i mean i've had some great guests by phone maybe i need to get them the equipment so we can produce together a radio show a team effort several of us that can talk and and put this together others that can do their part of the research to give you more information there's only so much that i can do but i'm willing to do it if you think it's worth the effort and if the resources are there to make sure it can happen and stay self-sustaining, sure, I'll keep doing it for as long as God gives me voice and health to do it. Yeah, I'll do it. This Friday, this Friday I turned 66, turned 65 last year, you know, the big deal. I'm finally on Medicare, Medicare or whatever, Would sure beat Obamacare. By a long shot i know some of you that have gone through that where you hit a point in life after 55 or 56 and something happens to your job and suddenly you're not making as much as you did and now you're having to pay more of a health sh- uh, care cost you make too little to live on but too much to get help and i've met a lot of people like that you yeah, too little to live on and uh but too much to get any help. And I, I've, we found ourselves in that boat for, for quite a while. It happens. And with this pandemic, I'm sure that a lot of people's finances have been deeply impacted. I mean, terribly impacted. So in a typical day, I get up. I, I, my wife says, you know, you're going to strain your eyes. I, I'm reading New sites from all over the world, trying to get a handle, and I'm trying to look for people that I can even bring on the program and try to give you some information you can use. There are three things I believe in. Number one, I, I still believe in the power of shortwave radio and even some legacy technology like even local AM stations. They can have a significant voice in the in the new world order that will unravel in time. The internet's still a powerful tool. And as long as you stay away from being on the big tech platforms, like Facebook, YouTube, and others, and Twitter, as long as you're not dependent upon them, and you can isolate your program on servers where you have control, we can do a lot for a long time yet to come to me it's when it's when you are so dependent on somebody's platform and their technology that you put yourself at risk that's why over the weekend if you listen to the program i had a guest on pastor joe Jackowitz, who's running a little network called first love org, and we need more voices like it. I run a little ministry like that myself called Ancient Word Radio. If you're looking for some wonderful background music during the time of study, reading, and refreshment, check out ancientwordradio.org. I've been paying for that out of my pocket now for the last two and a half years. Thankfully, it's not a great expense. I'm thinking about launching one or two more of these voices for for some teaching, some information and helps in your daily life. We're coming into a new time. No doubt about it. We're going to be talking about that in the next next half of the program. But if you believe in what I'm doing, I need to just just let me know you're out there. And you can go to the website truth the number 2 com. Truth the number 2 ponder.com. You can send an email if you wanted just the email address. It's real simple. Bob at truth the number two ponder.com. Truth two ponder.com. And if you still like using regular U.S. mail, you're welcome to do that too. Real easy. You can reach me at Bob. Just put the first name down. The last name is Beerman, which a lot of people can't spell, so don't worry about it. And, and just put on there, the address is 21 Berkshire Lane, 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E Lane, Berkshire Lane. Then add a little number 263 on that same line. And the reason is uh, we have a little post office set up here in our little small, tiny community. And that's the box they like to use at our little tiny substation. So it's 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley. Two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, zip code 30537. That's 30537 in the USA. 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. We're going to take a break, and we will be back to talk a little bit more behind the scenes... And then some things that I'm running across that'll make you kind of think about what you're hearing in the media. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of the program. You know, to really understand why I do this radio show, why I've done your weekend show, we almost have to go back to a, to a different time and place, maybe back to our own little towns. In
1: my little town, I grew up believing God keeps his eye on us all. And he used to lean upon me as I pledged allegiance to. Back past the gates of the factories My mom doing the laundry Hanging out shirts in the dirty breeze And after it rains, there's a rainbow And all of the colors are black It's not that the colors aren't there. It's just imagination. Relax. Everything's the same back in my little town.
0: This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. There's a reason I played this particular song to bring us back to the second part of our radio program and podcast today. Simon and Garfunkel, My Little Town. I remember the song well when it came out and what was going on at that time in the United States. A lot of change was beginning to happen under the surface. I don't care what anybody says. The United States, in spite of its imperfections and the things it has done wrong, is still one of the most blessed nations on the face of the earth to this day, in spite of what some protesters would try to tell you about this country. A lot of things happened in the 20th century that, as you look back now with 2020 vision, you can truly see... How the United States had an impact on the world. This nation carved out of a wilderness. Discovered. What? Four or five hundred years ago. 1492. And in time this new world was discovered. Inhabited and grown. But I remember those times. I was born. I'm one of the baby boom generation. I'll be 66 on Friday. And. I can remember what life was like. I was born, actually, technically in New York City, in Brooklyn. But all of my growing up memories begin in a little town in Long Island. Today, it's a very crowded little town and a very expensive little town, but it was a little town in the way that it, it presented itself to the people growing up. And I lived there until we moved to a smaller town in upstate New York. My dad always thought it would be a better place to get us kids off Long Island. In spite of the fact we were going to a decent parochial school, he just felt it would be better for the family to live in a town that doesn't have traffic jams, expressways, and a lot of cursing neighbors, which tends to happen in those kind of stressful environments. So we moved to a small town in upstate New York, not far from Lake Ontario, somewhat east of Rochester, and there I did live for the next five years, finishing up eighth grade and then high school, in a little picture postcard community, had a community center, had some industry and some farming around it. You never worried about locking your doors. Everybody knew everybody. And so I I got spoiled living in my little town. Then after I finished high school, I went on to electronic school in, in a bigger city in Ohio and then down to New York City again for more college. And eventually ended up in small town Georgia, of all places. Good place to really get my career going. in in a little town in Georgia. Another one of those little communities where everybody knows everybody, little shopping centers, everything's closed on Sunday and Wednesday afternoon. And so many of the people in that community had been for decades. You either worked on a farm somewhere out in the country or one of the industries in the little town and for many, many years, I mean, we're talking since they could harness water power. That little town had a decent amount of industry. The Piedmont region, which includes parts of Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, rapidly became the textile capital of the world. Companies like J.P. Stevens just To name one off the top of my head, Coates and Clark, others, they all employed people in these small towns and provided a decent wage compared to what they had had before. And this started back on the turn of the 20th century, this moving from certain places to the south. And many a high school graduate in the late 40s or 50s, their goal was to either drop out of school at 16 and get a good job and get married. Or finish high school and maybe even get a supervisory kind of a job in one of these great textile plants. There are even communities built up around a mill where the mill owner or corporation would build housing. And you could live in that housing if you worked at that mill part of your benefit package. People knew each other. People went to church on Sunday together. There was community. There was family in those little towns in Georgia, South Carolina, and perhaps middle Ohio, Indiana, central New York. Name where you're from. If you're my age, you know of those my little towns that are out there and they thrived and did well churches were built schools were built and generations of families lived worked and played and prayed together in these little towns but something started to happen to change that i can remember when i first came south in this in the 70s had family already here my mother's family is actually from south carolina and people would say hey if you want a great career and a great life until you turn sixty-five, you gotta go in the textile business. You gotta go work for one of the big plants. They'll give you health benefits, they'll give you a retirement fund, they'll they'll give you a good working wage, and you can enjoy your life. I'm glad I never took that advice. My mind was already made up to be doing what I'm doing now on the air, and then eventually the radio engineering that came with it. I opted to go a different path. And starting in the 1970s, one by one, these these textile companies started shutting down. And there were a lot of other small subsidiary businesses around these places. You know, companies that made parts and pieces for the machinery sprung up around these places, these metal shops you had a lot of these, what I call, sewing rooms. I remember visiting one in 1975 when I was a radio announcer. I had an invitation to go to this little plant, this little factory, about 20 miles from the house and the radio station that I worked at. And there were a bunch of ladies in this one big room, all getting along wonderfully, talking to each other and laughing, music playing in the background. And this little company, and I—it's it's long out of business now. It's called Sir Shirt Manufacturers. Sir Shirt Manufacturers just came back to my mind. Not far from Westminster, South Carolina. They would get contracts from companies like Arrow and others, Pencraft. You name it. We're talking all the big brands that you would see at your Sears or your Pennies and and other men's outlets and clothing stores. And they would be making the shirts, maybe just one type of that shirt or two types of that shirt, maybe some other companies doing the other colors. And these little sewing shops would get the contract to make all these regular dress shirts or polo shirts. Matter of fact, they even whipped together a few as a gift for me before I left because the radio announcer had come by to spend a little time with the girls there at that at that place my little town great place to live work and play i can remember that being the the motto for a community great place to live work and play and others would say and also to pray not a bad life where you can save up and buy a little outboard motorboat go fishing on the lake go to church on Sunday and you don't worry about your kids being kidnapped you don't worry about somebody getting shot in school you'd see these pickup trucks in the parking lot at the high school all had guns in the gun rack different world my little town but see in the 1970s inflation, devaluation of the dollar One by one, these companies began to shrink and move their operations to other nations. And one by one, these big factories that had supported these communities died, went out of business. Unemployment skyrocketed. People were beginning to lose everything, including hope. I saw that with my own two eyes grown men in their 50s and 60s that were waiting for their retirement suddenly out of work and no place to go. Difficult life in my little town. We go through all kind of trials and tribulations in this world. And if you've listened to this radio show for the past six weeks, if you've listened to my weekend show for the past five and a half years, I talk about these times that we go through in our world and in our life. I think we oftentimes forget. We oftentimes forget. There's no guarantees, there just is not a guarantee for security and happiness in this life. We look at the world today and some people may rightfully think that this could be the great tribulation maybe it is i'm not going to say that it is i never would i don't know i've used the analogy if you lived in poland in 1939 you would have thought it is the great tribulation when the blitzkrieg hit if you lived in crimea during world war one you would have thought this is the great tribulation. If you lived in a lot of places over the past 200 years, 300 years, Europe in 13-whatever, when, the, when they had the plague, and over a third of the people died, you would have said, Lord, this, is this the great tribulation? Are these the bowls of wrath being poured upon the earth? For those that lived in these my little towns back in the 70s. For some, they thought this is the beginning of the end. Life as they knew it was going to be over and disappear literally forever. Today we are in a time that I think it is unique, even compared to the First and Second World War. Since before the First World War, Since the time of the Roman Empire, there's always been this desire for a one-world government. There have always been those that want that kind of power over other people's lives. They believe they're entitled. They believe that they are the elite. They believe that everybody else is there to serve their financial interest. We are being teed up. I'll use that term, a good golfing term. Not that I play golf, but it's a great term. We're being teed up for something. Over the course of the last several months, I've talked often about the politics of a pandemic. I'm not a pandemic denier. Don't get me wrong. This coronavirus, SARS, COV-2, can be deadly to some people. But the most deadly aspect of this virus is the fear that it puts into the hearts of people. The fear is more deadly than the virus itself. Let me say that again. I want you to make sure you did not misunderstand me. The fear of this virus is more deadly than the virus itself. The numbers prove it. The millions we were told would die just in the United States has not happened and will not happen. It will be interesting to see how we are propping this up. I can remember. I can remember. And how quickly we forget. And people in politics, they play on the fact that most people that vote have extremely short and limited memories and don't pay a whole lot of attention to everything, just bits and pieces and sound bites. And thus, they are easily manipulated. the goalposts have been moved so many times that I'm surprised they're still intact. Face coverings, no face coverings. Face coverings, no face coverings. Airborne, no, and not it's airborne. And no, it's droplets. No, it's airborne. Asymptomatic, well, they can spread. Well, maybe they can't spread. Maybe they don't spread. Maybe the tests are giving many any false positives. All the goalposts keep changing on this. But if you notice something, and I did early on, and it it just hit me one morning. I go back to March, April, and May, and even to the beginning of June. And in my feed, in some of the news stuff that I look at, it was always a daily number of new infections and new people dying. Every day, whether it's in my little town or in the country or the state, We saw these huge numbers. A 1,000 people died today. 2,000 people died today. You don't hear that part much anymore. Now it's all infections. We had 2,000 new infections in this region today. How many died? No one says much. CBS News made complete idiots of themselves when they were showing scenes from an Italian hospital trying to claim that these overrun hospitals were in New York City, when New York City had plenty of bed space, had a hospital boat waiting for people to come on board, and a bunch of military stand-up hospitals at the Jacob Javits Center up in New York in the city, That never got really used at all that all got dismantled by the summertime because we never had the surge that we were told we would have and as more testing comes out more infections are found and i really believe in some places now listen to me carefully listen carefully in a state like new york where the virus ran through especially in the metropolitan new york area The number of people going to the hospital and dying has just dropped off to nil. But they test a lot of people, and they find what they think is a lot of virus. Back when we started doing testing, it was not uncommon to have 25 to 40% of the tests come back positive. Now with all this extreme testing, To me, the numbers of 9% positive seem rather high. And then in places like New York that are trying to keep the pandemic alive between now and November the 3rd. Don't ever forget that. Those that are trying to keep the virus alive until November the 3rd. In some community in Queens or Brooklyn, some little zip code, some little confined area, 3% of the tests came back positive, so now that's a crisis. Nobody's in the hospital, nobody's dying, there's virtually nobody sick. But because they broke the 3% line, we have to lock down again. We have to deprive you of your freedom again. You can't worship. We'll shut your synagogue or church down. We'll plow it down with a bulldozer. Now, if you want to protest with Black Lives Matter, that's that's fine. Go ahead. It was amazing listening to the mayor of New York last week making this big thing about how he will not deal with anybody rioting and and burning and all that, you know, from the Orthodox Jewish community that, that were out making loud protests. But he was fine when it was for a different cause that they agreed with in the city there they could topple and burn police cars throw molotov cocktails at police officers bust the windows of on fifth avenue because that was a cause that they considered righteous but your constitutional right to worship is immaterial i've often had my one guest on we're going to be having him on this week too And hopefully we'll be able to do it with a a whole different setup and it'll sound a lot better. We talk about the underlying news behind the news of these headlines. You know, this pandemic, I don't like to say I'm not a conspiracy kind of guy. And if you know me well enough, you know that I'm really not. But you gotta wonder when, when you hear things like 2017, Right after President Trump took over, Dr. Anthony Fauci said there is no question there's gonna be a challenge at some point of a surprise outbreak of some kind of an infectious disease or virus. True story, easy to verify. You know, a lot of medical doctors are now calling the pandemic a global crime and a, and a world dictatorship without a sanitary excuse. There's this top-down control in many states, and I think they enjoy it. I mean, Governor Newsom last week, um, between chewing, you put your face mask back on and off in a restaurant. This is the kind of silliness, and I think they delight in this new power over you. Not that it applies to them. It never does. It never does. But they, I think, enjoy running your life. The one thing that we have to remember with these governors like uh, Gretchen up in uh, Michigan and others and Cuomo in New York, they're still getting their paycheck. They can lock you down, shut down your business, kill your restaurant, put you in poverty, yet they're still eating their great dinners at home in a governor's mansion. And their paycheck is still coming. And if their family works for government, they're still getting paid remember those in your county government and your city governments your state and federal their paychecks, are, their paychecks are unscathed they're still getting them and so they don't understand why you're having a hard time making ends meet when your livelihood has been shut down Your prote- your productivity destroyed they don't get it because they've got theirs Do you believe in what I'm trying to do? Tomorrow, we're going to get back to more of a normal show. But do you believe in what I'm trying to do here with this program? Let me know. Go to the website, Truth to Ponder. That's truth2ponder.com. Our mailing address, of course, is real easy. Up here in Georgia right now, and that's where we'll be for another month or so. My name is Bob Bierman, B-I-E-R-M-A-N-N. That's 21 Berkshire Lane, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E. Add the number 263 to that. That helps our little post office here. In Sky Valley, Georgia, the zip code is 30537. One more time, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, zip code 30537 in the USA. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth2ponder.com. That's truth2ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.